Hello friends, it's Jim Nance and it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Beyond the Clubhouse, a podcast hosted by my friend Garrett Johnston. He is a testament to one of the great things about this sport, the friendships that come from playing or even just talking about the game. And you're going to meet some of the characters that Garrett has gotten to know from this past decade plus that he's been covering the sport. You're going to hear from players, caddies, members of the media. You're going to get the storytelling, the golf news, the players' swing tips, and a whole lot of laughs. It's coming your way with this edition of Beyond the Clubhouse. Here's Garrett. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Beyond the Clubhouse podcast, and it is never too early, that's my opinion, never too early for a Masters preview pod. I mean, it's coming up, only a few days away, and here's the thing, this is not a long-form, no-laying-up or barstool interview, hour-long with Trevor Immelman. I get it, it's not super in-depth, but this is two players uh, between Shane Lowry and Mackenzie Hughes who have played the Masters before, and they're not superstars, right? But they have their own unique take on Augusta and why they like the course and what they how they've evolved in their time playing the course. And it's not a ton of time that we're getting into it here, but I think there's still some good insight in in these short visits with the guys. And I spoke with them at Bay Hill on March 1st, so this is obviously dated, you know, three four weeks back. But there's some fun stuff here, and I think just because there's Masters favorites, right? There's John Rahm, there's Roy McIlroy, can he complete the career Grand Slam? There's Tiger, there's always so many people going for our attention. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, who's going to get it done this year? But I think there's so much to take away from a player like Shane Lowry. We're going to start with my five-minute chat with Shane Lowry, okay? It's just a short walk and talk or at Bay Hill after his pro-am, after a long day, so you can tell he's tired. But there's some good nuggets in here, I think, that, that you'll learn about Shane in his master's experience we cover the masters for a couple minutes we go on to different majors lacc us open oak hill pga championship you know we cover big events that are on the horizon right Ryder cup uh what that means to him does he consider himself a leader you know so we cover a few different topics in a short amount of time so be ready for that but what i will say is that look at what he's done in his master's career okay he's played in seven masters so he's gonna play his eighth now but there has been a change, and you'll hear him talk about this, in the way he has approached Augusta, what he's learned about it, right? First Masters in 2015, missed the cut. 2016, tie for 39th. 2017, missed the cut. 2019, missed the cut. And then in 2020, he gets paired with Tiger Woods three different times and finishes top 25, his first top 25 there at Augusta. The next year, 2021, top 21, basically. a Tie for 21st in the very next year. And then last year, this guy tied for third in 2022, okay? I know he was five shots out from where Scheffler finished, but still, the only guys that beat him were Rory McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler. I mean, that's how good he was playing. This guy has experience on the weekend last year at the Masters, playing in the second-to-last group on Saturday with Sung Jae-in and on Sunday with Sung Jae-in as well. So this is really... A player who I think comes in as a little bit of a dark horse. Yes, he's a major champion, but go dig that up, right? Played in the last second to last group last year, and he's been trending. He learned watching Tiger Woods in 2020 how to play the course a little bit better, and he's found a better strategy. So listen, it's only two and a half minutes. We get into uh, Augusta, and the other two and a half minutes are other tournaments, other majors in the Ryder Cup. But still, I think you're going to enjoy hearing a little bit of insight from Shane Lowry as we get into a little closer to Augusta National. So here is Shane Lowry at Bay Hill, early March uh, on Beyond the Clubhouse. 
you get to Augusta, you know, for you, Shane, how does that match up with your game, Augusta National? I think pretty good as the years go on, it's getting better. Um, I had a good Augusta last year, so um, I started to go a little bit outside of the tournament. So I'm going in a couple of weeks after the players. I'm going up for two days, do some practice. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I think uh, that's helped me a lot. Um, I just getting to know the place a little bit better. Um, to be honest, I, I played I played three rounds with Tiger there in 2020, and I learned a lot from that. Um, so yeah, I'm starting to kind of become more accustomed with the place and how to play the golf course. So I feel like. I step on Augusta now and I know how to play the course and it's, uh, I just need to make sure my game's in a decent place going there. When I look at your game, I mean chipping, I remember being at Pebble Beach one year, you and Patty and uh, Paul Dunn were doing chipping yeah. contests for ice cream. Yeah. You're such a good chipper of the ball, that's got to give you confidence at Augusta though, right? Like yeah, getting does, up and but down. The, right? the issue, well the thing is, I think it's more so about your iron play. Yes, you need to be a good chipper at times, but your iron play needs to be quite good, um, needs to be quite precise and you need to hold out well. So. Um, I actually think the Masters is less about chipping than what people think. Really? And I think it's more about uh, positioning your iron shots and holding out from six and eight feet very well. So, um, yeah, but I, look, when I get a position, I can chip and, and it does help. Right. And how do you feel about those parts of your game right now? Like good, six yeah. to eight, yeah, six I've to eight had, footers and I've had a, iron play? I've had a good couple of weeks of golf and I'm playing quite good. And, uh, you know, the Masters is still a little bit away, so... Um, Hopefully I can keep building my confidence going into that. I, I feel like I just do need to you know, find a little something on the greens these next few weeks and hopefully I can be dangerous when it comes to it. Yeah. Um, Oak Hill, do, what do you know of uh, Oak Hill? I played there in 2013. Yeah. Um, I uh, can't remember much about it, to be honest. Don't know much about it. They I know say it's old be, school and yeah, the finishing uphill. I know part, it's probably going to be colder. Cold, it's, Yeah, it's May. That time of the year? May ah. in Rochester, it could be cold. Yeah. See you guys. Um, but yeah, no, I don't know much about it to be honest. I can't remember much. Do you like northeast golf courses? Though? I do. Like yeah, yeah. Line, I like. I like traditional. The, I like the traditional American style golf course. I do. Um, are you going? Just wait on it. I'll be in there in a second. Okay, go. Cool. What about uh, the U.S. Open going to LACC? I, like I played there a couple of weeks ago. Really? What'd um, you make of it? And it's good. It's long. It's tough. It's going to be like a tough U.S. Open venue, but it's going to be pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it, it's uh, you know it, it's a venue that requires a lot of long and mid iron play, precise golf, and uh, yeah, hopefully I do have that when my game is on. But you just have to hope it's on at the time. You, speaking of precise golf, you had that at Oakmont, remember in 2016? Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. what did you learn about yourself in that experience? The U.S. Uh, Open. Well, I, I learned a lot. That, you know, I learned a lot when I was in the heat of the battle and all that, and you know, trying to win the U.S. Open is not easy, and you know. Maybe I wasn't ready for it when I went out on Sunday, but I did learn a lot about myself in that experience. Yeah. yeah. Is it better to finish up with you when you're done here, or a couple more minutes? Or no, a couple more minutes. Yeah, I do need to go though. I, I, I have a dinner you. that I have to go to, so I have to go back and get changed. Gosh, yeah, I'll wrap up in two minutes if you okay. don't mind. Yeah. Um, the Ryder Cup, the camaraderie of that event, and what it was like for you in your first one, and now obviously, like it's a special memory, right? I'd imagine. It, absolutely, and it's something that every European player wants to do is play in a Ryder Cup. But you know, I'm kind of. At the stage now where yes, I want to be on this team, but I want to win it. You know, I want to be a part of a winning team. I, I don't just want to go there and make up the numbers and enjoy myself. I want to go there and and compete for you know that trophy. And I think uh, this year more than ever, I think it's a uh, it's a big year for us as a European team in the Ryder Cup. And I feel like 
you know, we've got kind of a change into the guard and I feel like, uh, yes, there's a lot of guys that have played multiple Ryder Cups, but there's going to be a few new lads on the team as well and hopefully we can go there and, uh, you know, win that trophy. I, I think we, I do, I do think we have a strong team. I do think we are going to have a strong team when it comes to Do you view yourself as an elite player, somebody that can really contribute to that team? I like to think did. so. I like to think so. I like to think that, you know, I can be one of the players that, you know, the younger guys could come, you know, if I'm on the team, that the younger guys can come and talk to about stuff. And, um, you know, I like to think that I'm one of the players that hopefully will uh, will be a part of that team and will lead the team to victory in, in September. What was the best part about being in a team room like that? Just, uh, it, it was great fun. It was. It was, like, one of the best weeks of my career. It was, you know, being there and playing for each other and all that. And, you know... It wasn't just the 12 players and the 12 caddies. It was everyone about it. You know, the wives, the staff, the physios, you know, the coaches. Everyone was, you know, really gets into the team spirit. So that was a cool thing about the whole thing. All right, my thanks to Shane Lowry for joining the pod there. Very short, as I said, five minutes. But I think you can take a little bit from that. He was tired. He was sipping on a Diet Coke, trying to get some energy after a long pro-am day. But I think there's plenty to glean from that. Especially, I love what he said about Tiger Woods. 2020, being paired with him three times. How lucky is that, right? For any player uh, in this age right now to get a chance to play with Tiger three straight times or three out of four rounds at Augusta National and what that's done for Shane Lowry's career uh, picking up different things about that and getting to a tie for third in 2022 so good stuff there with Shane let's move on to Mackenzie Hughes and I know Mackenzie was in the news uh, there he made a deep run he went to the quarterfinals and he beat Max Homa in his match it looked like he was frustrated over uh, the aim point uh, putting that uh, just the length of time that Max Homa was taking over some of those putts they showed uh, Mackenzie Hughes a camera angle of him looking down at the water he was on the bridge going towards the next hole between 13 and 14 it just looked the optics looked like he was frustrated and even so much that Max Homa responded on Twitter and said that hey I've got to pick up my slow play game now also Mackenzie Hughes we should note um, such a nice guy such a Canadian guy so it's seemed out of character uh, for the, uh, for him to be frustrated. Um, now, it di- he did say on Twitter, he replied to one of the videos about uh, that exchange, and he said, I was not showing any frustration here. I simply cleared the green, was checking out what was in the water, but it was too brown to see anything. That is all this was at Max Homa 23. So, clearly, uh, he, he wanted to give his opinion to to what people were interpreting on video. So either way, interesting to see uh, a different side, um, at least from our interpretation on video of what uh, what we could have seen from Mackenzie Hughes there. But anyway, let's get to this chat here about the Masters. This will be his fourth Masters for Mackenzie Hughes. He's got a miscut, a 50th and a 40th finish. And it's interesting to note that his 20 years ago, his fellow Canadian countryman, Mike Weir, had that huge breakthrough win at the 20, 2003, I should say 20, 2003 Masters. That was his fourth Masters as well. So sometimes it takes guys a little bit of time to get used to Augusta National. Sometimes it takes them three or four tries before they're really to ready to compete and go after it. And so, Mackenzie, we talk here about Augusta, what he likes about it in the first couple questions, uh, how it suits his game, and then also he's such a good putter. He's 15th in total putting, uh, 36th in shots gained putting this season on the PGA Tour. So what can we learn? There's about four or five different topics we cover in terms of instruction. How can we get better with our green reading? Things like that. Like how, you know, he's such a good 
reader of greens, what can he tell us and share with us that will help our game as well? So get into a few topics here. It's Mackenzie Hughes on Beyond the Clubhouse. Overall, Mac, I think about Augusta National. How does that shape up for your game? I like the place. Uh, I feel like it requires a lot of uh, imagination and creativity. Um, a lot of it is uh, the more I've played there, the more I feel like it's a uh, obviously you have to hit the ball uh, exceptionally well, but there's a lot of thinking that goes into it, and I think that's a, a strength of mine. Uh, hmm. Like a high golf IQ and uh, knowing where to play from is uh, really important out there. So the more times you've been around there, the better. Um, but I, always, I look back to like guys that like a Bernhard Longer, you know, who's had success there into his you know, late 50s and early 60s. But like he knows where to play from and the angles to play from, and uh, that's a huge part of playing well there. So it's not just you know brute power and uh, you know exceptional ball striking. There is you know thought, uh, creativity involved. So um, all those things I think you know make it a fun place to play and a place that I love uh, going to. Yeah. And that drive, I'm sure, is just amazing when you get yeah, there, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Going down Magnolia Lane, and that it never gets old. And uh, just a place that you get to, and it just kind of, it, no matter where you are in your in your season or whatever, it just seems to kind of boost you and give you a lift because it just, uh, I don't know, it's just there's not a place like it that we go on tour, and uh, you know, to go back to a major championship every year in the same same venue and. Uh, uh, yeah. A fame venue like that, it's just, it's different. So. Yeah. Well, and, and just in the next couple of minutes, if we could, uh, I just want to ask you about five aspects of the game. Like yeah. For the amateurs, how we can get better. Like, okay. what would be your advice with the driving? Like, what, what, what can we be doing better? Um, you know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, good driving starts with good alignment. Uh, I'll see guys that hit pretty good drives right where they're aiming, but they're aiming in the right rough. Or, uh, you know... And they don't even see it. They don't even see it. So, you know, it's it's uh, sometimes a little bit frustrating to watch, and I try not to get, you know, super involved. But, you know, if it gets really bad or I feel like, hey, this guy's aiming right all day and hitting it in the right rough, well, I, you know, I try and get in there and help. And, and if that can feel foreign to them, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, but sometimes those things uh, really make a difference. And that's something I see a lot that, um, you know, it's super easy to correct and fix. And I just I think that, like, that – allows you not to play catch up on other, like when you're off alignment you're playing in the compensation games so if i'm aiming right you have to do something to get it go back to the left or if right. i'm aiming left vice versa so if i want to aim down the middle of the fairway and hit down the middle of the fairway that's uh making things a lot easier for you what about as we get around the greens bunker play what would be some some good advice on bunkers uh you know bunker play a lot of it can be done in setup you know so i you know a high lofted club that's open uh, stance slightly open but then from there I just like I think that one of the biggest things is I see amateurs aren't very aggressive through the sand so like that club stops they slow down they decel they don't want to hit too hard there's a bit of a trust factor there that you have to kind of you have to go into sand hit that you know what's called an inch behind the ball thump the sand and trust that right. you know you can swing it pretty hard because you're going to take a fair bit of sand and that you know um, but I just see all the time where amateurs kind of you know they're committed to making that swing and at the last minute they kind of you know slow it down throw the club in the sand and a lot of times that leading edge is too square so they're just digging right into the sand club stopping and mm. that ball is you know foot in front of them so um, i'd say open that face up and uh be aggressive
you want to open cub face up a little bit with chipping at all, or is that more of a decel? Like, how, how do you, what's the advice there? Um, chipping, it depends. I mean, uh, on the shot you're playing, um, I'd say uh, bounce is your friend when you're chipping. So if the face is open, you're only going to increase that bounce. So um, if, you're, if it's comfortable for you, I, I like the idea of having it slightly open when you're chipping, but no matter what club it is, whether it's lob wedge, sand wedge, fishing wedge, whatever it is, a little bit opens, increasing that bounce. So um, I'd always be a fan of that. Um, but again, I still think that kind of like bunker play, like there needs to be some some aggression to to the chipping. Like you want some speed, some uh, conviction at the ball. You don't want to be taking it back long and then slow through. There needs to be a kind of more of a one-two type motion with your pitching. So I like the idea of having it a little bit open uh, your face, and then uh, like I said, there needs to be some sort of conviction at the ball. Um, you know, still with some authority through it. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to, you know, it's not like a bunker motion per se, but when you're pitching out the fairway and you're um, trying to create some spin or some stop on the ball, mm. there needs to be some authority to that pass. Um, so a little open club face and, you know, a nice little one-two, you know, one-two motion uh, would be great. Well, you mentioned speed earlier. How would that relate as you're looking at reading greens? I know you're a good putter. What are some good, just the, the right mindset for reading greens? Um, I think the, the best way to go about reading greens for me is if I can have like, if I have a 30 foot putt and it breaks right to left, let's call it three or four feet. Um, I want to see what the maximum amount of break I can play is to die it in the hole, die it in that right side of the hole. What is the highest possible line? And I kind of want to work off that. Now, there might be a time when I say, okay, well, this is the highest possible line. I'm going to go a little bit inside that because this is a putt that I need to, I need to make. I'm, you know, one down on the 71st hole of tournaments. Um, but I guess let's say I'm just trying to hit a leg putt, you know, and I just want to die it around the hole, which, you know, from 30 plus feet, that's all you're really trying to do is you're just trying to drop it around the hole. It goes, right. it's, a, it's a bonus. Um, but I'm working off that highest possible apex. So that putt gets out to its apex, what is that highest point it can be before it starts to break and come back towards the hole? Um, that's that's the way I look at reading greens. And I think, you know, as far as speed goes, I mean, I'm trying to match up that highest line with a dying pace around the hole. So, um, and that that's a lot of experimentation. Like you go on a putting green and just, you know, hit putts that have lots of break and just kind of see, okay, well, you know, cause if I hit a putt that breaks five feet right to left and I only play it two and a half feet or two feet, well, I might hit a great putt at perfect speed and have four feet left, you know, from left of the hole. You don't want you that. Know, you know I mean? So you just don't want to have, you know, based on a poor read, having a lot of work left from 30 feet because, you know, really that all it was was an under read, you know. So if you read read it properly, play that extra break, which, I mean, almost every amateur I've ever played with under reads putts, you know. So I say, oh, you know, I think this putt breaks a foot, and there's they're seeing it like, you know, four inches mm. so you know generally i would say people are on the underside of those things under reading so um take that high point and then work from there yeah well i would say if you don't mind could we just go through your bag real quick the 14 clubs yeah. like what are what, what are the degrees of the drivers and all that and then uh, on down um so my uh driver is about 10 degrees and then uh kind is it uh ping lst 425 uh my three wood uh is actually a four wood so it's a five wood head bent oh. to a four wood make up your mind Mac. <laughs> it's a five wood bent to a four wood uh plays about 16 degrees i'd say maybe just under um 
I have a seven wood that's bent to a six wood. Um, Those are all ping, the same kind of brand as the two driver. Yeah, and then my irons, uh, S55s uh, in the wedge through seven, and then the I210 in four through six. So that's a little extra height and forgiveness for basically 200 to 230. My six iron 200 and my four iron with 230. So that's just a bit of extra height and forgiveness on those longer shots. And then uh, wedges, I play uh, 52, 56, and 60 in the Glide 2.0. Um, my 60 is more like 63, so I kind of achieve some extra loft there. Um, and my putter is uh, a bit ancient. It is a Scottsdale <laughs> Piper C, which they don't make anymore. Um, but it's probably, I've probably had that in the bag for, I don't know, 10 years. So, wow. Yeah. Old, old, reliable. What, what ball are you using these days? Uh, 19 Pro V1. 19 Pro V1. All right, my thanks to Mackenzie Hughes and Shane Lowry for jumping on for couple short segments there at Bay Hill on March 1st. So hope you guys enjoyed it. It's going to be great Masters, and I think those are two guys you want to keep an eye out just to see how they do as they progress in their Masters career. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, and we'll catch up soon on Beyond the Clubhouse.